This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The one thing that I take from the game is that uh, a draw in here normally is uh, a positive result. To stay at top of the league with that result is also a positive thing. And my dressing room is not happy. That's the the best thing that I take from the game. We are not happy. Uh, and that for me is, is fantastic. It's a complete change of, uh, of mentality, a complete change of personality. Um, you can tell us we didn't have many chances uh, and I agree, but how many did they have? Um, and that's the thing that makes me really, really happy. We are not happy with the draw at Stamford Bridge. Off the ball kicks off now on BFM 89.9. Jose Mourinho stating his displeasure and his team's displeasure at the draw against Chelsea early this morning. But you get the feeling inside that actually he is really quite happy about it, don't you? It is Monday evening. It's me, Ross. Welcome to Off the Ball. Also, welcome to the guys joining me. Hello to Arvin Sidhu. Hello, everyone. Good to be back. Leads one. He's got an extra bounce in his step. Uh, Des Corkill is here, trying to be all mild mannered. <laughs> um, um, hello, Des. Craig Wilkie is here as well. Hello, Craig. Good evening. What's Des got to be upset about? <laughs> um. <laughs> Do tweet at BFM Radio. Follow us on social media. We're we're BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. We also do have a little YouTube channel up and running. It's uh, TFIF on video. Do give us a a check out. Right, weekend's football then. We'll come to Dez's favourite bit later. First, the big one on Sunday turned out to be a bit of a dud. Chelsea nil, Tottenham nil. Jose Mourinho at the start saying, well, you know, the team are really in the dressing room, really unhappy that we didn't come away with a win. But Arvin Sidhu, you and I know that it was a Jose masterclass. He went there for a point. He came away with a point. And how opportune some things work out. 2004, he came up with the term park the bus that Tottenham did for Chelsea. And this is what he did. He goes back there with Spurs and that's exactly what it was. I mean, this was built a blockbuster match of, of the weekend, but really for me, it was a lot of sparring, a lot of dancing around, a little bit like Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. There wasn't really any any proper hits. I mean, there wasn't any of that. You so, mean like, like he, two granddads having a little, little argument exactly. barbecue? No, two, two granddads fighting over a barbecue grill, exactly. <laughs> but but he, Jose will come away the more happier of the two. He still remains on top of the table. I like how he played down the suggestion that he's not a, ro- a horse in this race. They're a little pony in this race. So, no, we cannot consider it. And then Lampard comes out and says, no, when you have Son and Kane, you are definitely in the race, which is true. So mm. Jose will come away from this being a bit more happier. But overall, I mean, I, I, I struggle to get through this game. And I don't often say that when big teams play, but... Yeah, that's how it was. Pretty exactly. It, uh, Son and Kane can't have rated more than 5 out of 10. Max, really. So I ask you, Des, with Lampard's Chelsea being the home side here, was the onus on him to get a draw? Because you get the feeling that both managers just settled and they were happy. Uh, yes. I, you know, I thought this was 
compelling in a bizarre kind of a way in that I was waiting for something to happen. It was the early hours of the morning. The eyelids were, were closing down a little bit. But uh, it was a compelling match because so much was on it. I think both of these teams are genuine contenders. This was a serious game of football, if a very boring one, to take my old alma mater of, uh, or my, my, my old mantra of having to entertain and a duty to entertain. But uh, yeah, this, these are two genuine championship contenders. They will be there or thereabouts come the season's end. And uh, I think both will be happy because a defeat would have hurt both. A victory would have been splendid. Yeah. So in the end, both just stuck rather than twisted. But... Okay, we, we say this, we say it was a dull game, no manager was uh, brave enough and all that, but you, you do have to have a solid defence to be able to play like this, Craig Wilkie. And, and that's a credit to, well, Jose's been doing it all his life, that, but, but Lampard has really shored up that Chelsea, yet another clean sheet for Mandy. Yeah, that's why I don't think Lampard was particularly unhappy after the game either. Both managers felt as though, if you'd said to both managers at this stage of the season after 10 games, you'd be in the position that you are with the number of points that you have, the way the whole league is shaping up, I think they would have both taken it, especially Mourinho. Um, and then, like you say, there, I think there's another mantra, which is that title challenges are built on defensive solidity. And Lampard has definitely added that to Chelsea. We looked at the start of the season and there were a few question marks over that defence. But since Mendy has come in, playing in the goal behind the back four, I think... Thiago has you know, done a fantastic job as well, really just bringing some leadership to that back four, the experience that he has. Um, yeah, and so it was, they both cancelled each other out. And it, it, there was a very cautious aspect to the whole thing. They knew that if they committed players forward, that there's enough attacking talent on either side that they were going to get punished. So everybody was just playing it a little bit cagey, trying to, trying to feel each other out. But what was interesting to me, and we might get onto one of Des's favourite subjects here straight away, was that the post-match interview with Lampard, he was asked about the game itself and he said, yeah, you know, it was okay. I think we did all right. We played quite well, played a few chances. Actually, the, the goal that was ruled out for Chelsea was a fantastic mm, It was uh, beautiful. Uh, it, it, re it really was. But then came an interesting question to Lampard, which was, how do you feel about the way VR is being implemented? Especially when it comes yeah, to Yeah, I, I actually And, and what, what, that, what, yeah. Was, what was really interesting to me was Lampard said, offside is the one area in which I think it's working out okay. That's the one area in which we should be absolutely black and white about it. We shouldn't give, you know, benefit to the attacking player. We shouldn't leave a little bit of leeway because then it becomes a question of interpretation. How far do you take it? And I was just shocked. I.e. I well, <laughs> I a fingernail, a hair, exactly. a toenail, offside is enough. He's happy with that. Let's yeah, assume think so, but... half the managers think like him. <laughs> Des? Oh, Des fainted. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'll get onto this in a moment. But what you're doing is if the referee and the assistant referee make the call, I've got no problem. If they make a mistake on that call, I've got no problem. But now so they, the, don't, have, they don't make that, any off-site calls anymore. That's well, we'll talk best. about that on the Leeds-Everton game as well because Leeds scored a, a great goal. Nobody's done it. Ball's in the back of the net. Then you've got this little Dillard over on the far corner going... I want to ruin everybody's fun. <laughs> and that is just crazy. So they're not being helped by the lawmakers. Uh, they're not being helped by VAR. And um, now, yeah, allow referees to make errors. Yep. They do make errors. And I tell you, they promised us, they promised us, they 1,000% promised us VAR would eliminate errors. It hasn't. 
Happen. It hasn't. Okay, we will. You, you tell. Yeah, we'll, we'll go on. To yeah, it yeah. Let, 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 let's just pause there for a minute. Now, the reason Tottenham only needed a draw to go top was because the day before Liverpool in the early kickoff on Saturday, and oh, don't don't remind Klopp about an early kickoff <laughs> on on Saturday. <laughs> it was it was a one-one draw, and and it, it was it was a VAR affected match. Okay, the, the two offside goals. One was another one of these toenail offside. Salah, uh, Manes was quite clear. He was offside. I mean, I think the I naked agree. eye could have seen that one, but that kick. By Robertson, I say kick in inverted commas, on, on Welbeck. And Welbeck falling. And the referee, supposedly, after making a clear and obvious error on pitch, was asked by the VAR referee to go and look at the monitor. Now, anybody who plays football, social football, any kind of football, knows that that kind of Robertson contact happens every game. You get trod on every game, but you don't go down. But, okay, I'm going to let Arvid have his, have his say here first. Right, wrong, were Liverpool un, uh, unjustly treated? Oh, stop it. Um, for the Robertson one, when Stuart Atwell gave that penalty, Danny Welbeck has come out and even four to five Brighton players felt that it wasn't one. It wasn't one. Because you're looking at a scenario where Andy Robertson is literally trying to clear the ball. Yes, he has connected with, with Welbeck. That's clear, he's connected with him. But the intent is that he's trying to clear the ball. Now, what Stuart Edwell has done is he said that, okay, by the letter of the law, the book that I've been given, I need to go and take a look at this and it's contact in the, in the box, I'm going to give it. So by the law, yes, it is supposed to be a penalty. In the spirit of the game, no, it's completely wrong because it takes away anything that is fun about football. It, takes, it makes everything very robotic. The offsides one, you were right. Money for me clears daylight. They like, we see that a lot. Mm. Uh, a set piece, someone crosses into the ball, someone is ahead of the line, it happens. It used to happen before VAR was there. Exactly. And then the, the Salah one is the one that we are getting every week now. The armpit, the toenail, the hair, the, the, the Bamford putting his hand out. So okay, that one for me again. Let's again, start with that. that because because yeah. of what Lampard said, Lampard saying it, it's perfect, it should be that way. Should there be a, a, a leeway? I don't know. An arm, a foot, uh, or... or Literally, is a millimeter offside a millimeter? Is, is, is that offside? Back in the day, they used to give the benefit to the attacker, didn't they? Now that's complete, that notion has completely gone out. It's just become such a point that we draw lines and if we see there's one little millimeter that's above the line, we're going to call it off. And that's made the game whew, very, very unnatural to how football is supposed to be compared to a lot of other competitive sports. So for me, that piece of, of VAR, of the offside, I don't agree with Lampard in it. I just think it needs to go. How, how do we tweak that particular rule, Des? Well, number one, there is no guarantee that that is correct. You are judging somebody else a long, long way away to assume that the camera angle is one billion percent accurate. You are assuming that the lines that are being drawn are absolutely infinitesimally correct. The exact moment the ball leaves the And floor. they're not. So they, they are not, these are inaccuracies and I'm waiting for the first legal challenge. I am waiting for us to go to the court of law. I'm already surprised that Bournemouth haven't taken this to the court of law because VAR did not work last year or goal line technology did not work last year and has cost them maybe 60 or 70 or 80 million pounds. This, if it carries on, is going to be ending up in a court of law because people's lives are put at stake. People, uh, uh, You look at the people of Bournemouth, number who were laid off as a result of a mistake by the technology that is supposed to be 
100% accurate. And if the technology is not accurate every time uh, without any question, then there's a problem. And there is no guarantee that that is accurate. There is just no guarantee that that is accurate. Like Leeds the other week, um, like, like Mane against Everton, there's no guarantee it's accurate. Yeah. The other thing it does, the other thing it does, the referee and the two linesmen have made wrong calls on the three biggest calls of the game. That's what this says. So they, they weren't allowed to referee why, the game. Why should I trust this referee for any call? I'm going to appeal everything that that man says because I know that he can be have his mind changed. I know that he has made wrong calls on three big decisions. So I don't trust this referee one iota. I don't trust the assistant referees one iota. You have lost my respect in any situation, any decision, any 50-50. You're wrong. You are wrong. And you know, it's possibly provable. And you've changed your mind in the past. So you've lost total respect. And going back years, Ross, this has been my case. You are diminishing the authority of the referee. Stuart Atwell, gone for me. Every time I see him, ah, ah, you never know what will happen. And it's oh, okay. right. Yeah, yeah. So, somebody, <laughs> somebody needs to go and light 10 incense sticks and put them right next to Des Corkill right now, please. <laughs> but you see my point. Yeah, my yeah. Point. No, no. It's so, going to end up in the court of law very, very soon. So, so basically, yeah, it can only get uglier before anything can get done. Okay, what that that uh, Welbeck penalty then, Craig? Um, when it happened. As a football fan, I mean, you play you play social football. You know that happens when when you clear a ball. Literally, that that happens what three four times a game. Yeah, it does, and it happens all over the pitch as well. And it happens and by all the way, over the pitch. If if it happens on the halfway line, then nobody goes down, nobody thinks anything of it, and on we go. But then another problem with VAR is when a referee goes over and looks at the monitor and everything's slowed down. It starts to distort what you're seeing and what's actually happened and how close players are, how much time they've had to react, what, they, what the nature of the contact is. All of those things, they look much worse when they're magnified and, and slowed down like that. But what was interesting for me, let's, you know, we've been talking about this for how long? We haven't mentioned the football at all. Right? <laughs> we, haven't, we, haven't, we haven't mentioned the fact there was a game of football played between two teams on, on Saturday afternoon. And actually, it was, maybe that's because it wasn't a great game of football. I thought Liverpool were, were really poor in the first half. It was only when Henderson came on in the second half that they started to, to have a bit more urgency. But really, the talking points were two things after the game. One was Andy Robertson went on Twitter and said, when are the players going to have a voice in all of this? And my response to Andy Robertson is, what's stopping you? You know, you've, you've, got, a, you've, that, got, you've right? got a platform. Yeah, you've got, you've got a platform. You've, you can come any press conference you like. What are you afraid of? A fine from the FA? If players Suspension. want to start... Suspension, Craig. And Liverpool can't afford any more defenders. Well, that's, that's true. We, we definitely can't afford any more defenders out. But ultimately, managers and players are going to have to start speaking out about this if they feel as strongly as I believe they do behind closed doors. I mean, maybe so Lampard if, is an if, exception. If B, so, for example, if BFM Football started a petition today... About time! <laughs> and then we started sending it... Well, do, do, will, will the Premier League clubs entertain it? And then how does it all work? Can we? Should we? Well, someone let's, do it? Let's, see if, <laughs> let's see if Andy Robertson is listening to this call. But the other thing that happened, of course, after the game was that incredible interview between Klopp and Des Kelly from, from BT. Yeah, thoughts right? uh, on that. I, I personally thought, uh, initially, it was a bit out of order attacking poor Des Kelly there. He's just there to do his job. That was my 100%. initial reaction. 
I, I agree with you. I thought Des Kelly did a fantastic job. He carried out his duties very professionally. He was asking perfectly fair and reasonable questions of a manager. We know that it's difficult. A manager comes and he has to face the media five, ten minutes after a heated game and controversy and all of that stuff. And of course, you know, people are people are not robots, right? They're going to have emotions. They're going to sometimes they're going to lose their cool. But I I feel as though. Klopp is a little bit hypocritical in all of this. He, he chooses his targets, right? You don't hear him complaining about the Champions League schedule. You don't hear him complaining about when Liverpool jetted off to the World Club Cup, which is a Mickey Mouse tournament last year, just because there's money attached to it and there's a little bit of prestige. Hey, Craig, he did. He played the reserve team in the League Cup. Well, he did, but he wasn't making a... He, wasn't, he, wasn't uh, he made a big about point it. about it then. To defend him, he made a big point about it. And also, he, this is a man who didn't bother to turn up for an FA Cup replay if we recall last season just because it fell within the the two-week winter break they you, you, okay, so yeah. I, I think he's a little bit choosy of when he when he decides to have a go about i, I think he's made a, it's, i it's think not, he's made a very consistent it's not des kelly's fault right i, I know and, and then there, there were the there were two or three separate swipes at the sheffield united manager chris wilder as well which i thought whoa where did that come from because then i had to research all what chris wilder said before but i mean not a good look, but what I mean, the, the point that you can probably take out of this is the immense pressure that everybody, managers, are under, even 10 games into the season, Des. Uh, Liverpool are top of the league. Well, no, no, the they're second, actually. <laughs> and they've had four points uh, wrecked from them in, in, in those games. So, uh, <laughs> so crisis manager, crisis, uh, manager under crisis. Um, yeah, they're, they're under pressure. It's a good league. It's a terrific league. But I think it's really good that we're actually having these debates and we're allowed these debates and the club is able to say what he says. And the Des Kelly, to Des Kelly's uh, real um, credit, responded, the big issue is that in 1992, the Premier League decided the dollar was more important than the, the football. And we're suffering those consequences. And, and poor old Jurgen Klopp on his £8 million a year is, is uh, one of those who's really suffering. There you go. We're going to pause right there as we get more incense sticks for Des Corkill. <laughs> We're going to be back right after this short break. The serial winner has got another trophy for the cabinet. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Well, the rules have been clarified and, and they've looked to, to balance things fair, in a fairer fashion. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back with Arvin Sidhu, Craig Wilkie, Des Corkill. Lovely Monday evening. Everybody very calm. Talking about the weekend's football. Everton nil. Leeds United won. Arvin is smiling already. Uh, Leeds had 13 shots before the break. I, I watched this game. Um, you know, I, I made the mistake, like Craig Wilkie, of captaining. Dominic Calvert-Lewin in fantasy football. Because <laughs> you think, you know, it's leaky leads. There's bound to be, it's going to be a 4-3. Calvert-Lewin will be in the goals. It turned out to be 1-0. It was a lovely goal from Rafinha. Um, but solidity shown by, by your leads, Arvin. Yeah, and it's, it's no coincidence that it's happened when Calvin Phillips has come back into the squad because Calvin Phillips, for everything that leads does, bombing forward, blockbuster football, end-to-end, Calvin Phillips is the safety blanket of that squad because what he does is that he snuffs out danger and he goes back and plays a third center back position when the when the right back and left back are waiting bombing forward. Now, okay, let, let, me, let me let me pause you there. Let me pause you there. I understand yeah. what you're saying. For me, in that first half, Leeds cut through. 
that that defense at will, Everton's defense or non non defense. Are you worried that they're not putting any of those chances away? That it was only a one nil win and the goal came in the second half. Yeah, but this has been Bielsa's mantra, and I know we'll talk about this whether he needs to adjust the style of the season. But this has been Bielsa's mantra since his come. This is what he does. He will he will play the game that he believes the way the game should be played, which I'm sure pleases Des a lot because he was an absolute blockbuster. It was it was so entertaining that game. I mean, I looked at some of the stats. Every Leeds player, with the exception of the centre back and the goalkeeper, had a shot on goal in the first half. Every Leeds player, they will they will bomb your they will bomb your 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 goalpost literally. And and Rafina, I mean, so technical, so composed, so dangerous, and such a deserving goal. But Bielsa will be happy that it's been two clean sheets: one against Arsenal, one against Everton. That will is what will please him. Mm. And it it says it says a lot when I honestly thought Jordan Pickford was man of the match for for Everton. I mean, yeah. we the, the the media thinks of Jordan Pickford or oh, the villain that got yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that got Virgil Van Dijk injured. But let's be honest, Jordan Pickford kept Everton in that game. But, he he but did, and and he did it in front of the watching Gareth Southgate as well, the England boss. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, for Everton, Des, it's it's up and down already. It's an Everton season already, nine ten games in, and. And yeah, I mean, if you're Ancelotti, your three-four-three isn't working. You're leaking goals by the week. Well, Everton are still guilty of celebrating the title they'd won after four matches. Uh, so that's number one. Number number two is that I don't understand why Ancelotti's gone with three at the back. Um, I think he's changed. He's normally been a four at the back, man, and he's changed it for this game, and it's really rebounded against him. Um, and Everton, they'll come good. They're a decent footballing side. They were a bit unfortunate to have two goals disallowed by the assistant referee who mm. made good decisions. So I trust that assistant referee now. So anytime he's there, I know he'll get things right and isn't going to have to rely. I hated the fact, though, that uh, for the Patrick Bamford goal, the other assistant referee, or was it the same one? I'm not sure. I need to check. But he waited and waited and waited until a ball had been played in, a cross had gone to the far side, a header had come, come, come back, and Bamford had put the ball in the back of the net, and everybody was cheering before he puts his flag up. That's nothing to do with Everton, but it's all to do about with my uh, mantra today, which is referees and officials are just being robbed of their opportunity to, 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 to referee the game. Everton ordinary leads were great fun. I'd fine the goalkeeper and the centre-back for not getting a shot on goal if I was the <laughs> They probably will in due time. They probably will. I, I'm going to ask you, Craig, do you think Bielsa has to maybe tweak his system, maybe alter the mantra a little bit for, for Leeds to safely survive the season and then mount a challenge maybe? I think Leeds are going to safely survive the season. There's, there's no doubt about that. I, I suspect he already is a little bit. When I've watched Leeds in the last couple of games, I have seen slightly more conservatism about them. I have seen a little bit more of that, just you know, trying to play it safe at the back, and, but not in a way that's detracting very much from what they've got going forward. I mean, Bielsa is one of those managers who has a very clear philosophy in how he likes his sides to play, how he wants to set them up and what he expects them to do. And, and he's one of those managers that won't change that very much depending on the opposition. You know, he mm. will always expect Leeds to go out and impose themselves on whoever it is they're playing against. But he's smart enough. You know, you, you don't get to his uh, position and the experience that he has without knowing how to set up a side defensively as, as well. And he's shown that in the last couple of weeks. So if Leeds can find that balance, which it looks as though they're starting to a little bit, then who knows how far they could kick on this season. But it's, it's definitely looking promising right now. All right. Uh, speaking of managers with a vision and, and a style of play, Pep Guardiola's Man City. Before 
uh, Saturday's game had scored 10 goals in, in what, nine matches. They, they, they improved their total by 50% in that one match. In fact, I think their last three against Burnley have been 5-0, 5-0, It's nearly tennis. It's nearly tennis. <laughs> Arvin, um, City were good. Uh, uh, again, Aguero, I mean, it was a false nine, but Burnley, whoa. I mean, uh, let's talk about how good City were first. Yeah, and we were talking about petitions. I'm pretty sure Burnley has probably started one for City to build a new ground because they don't want to go there. They just get hammered 5 nearly each time that they go, <laughs> they go over to Etihad. So Burnley should start a petition on that one. But no, I mean, City were, City were good. This was target practice for them. If there was ever a game to open the floodgates based on what they've been going through recently, this was it. Um, but I, I found it quite interesting that Pep Guardiola came out after the match and said that his players, they couldn't, re- they couldn't rebel in, in this 5 nil. They didn't enjoy it because scheduling is taking its toll out of players. Players don't feel that when you win a game in such a comprehensive fashion that you enjoy it anymore because football has become in that way so scheduled and so robotic. So I found that quite interesting. But uh, Kevin De Bruyne again showed up. I mean, this yeah. is the type of game you expect him to show up. Riyad Mahrez, I always feel when he gets that leading role, he always delivers as well. First goal for, for Mendy and, and Ferran Torres and all that. So really good signs for City for this game. They just need to ensure it continues. And they have a good run of fixtures coming. Mm. My only bit is that uh, they just need someone up front. I mean, I, I know Gabriel Jesus gave an assist for one of them. But if they would have had prime Aguero, it makes them so much more dangerous than they are right now as well. Yeah, wait, wait, wait till we talk about Man United and the importance of a number nine actually playing. Um, but okay, let, let me go to Des. And Des, last season, we saw, we saw Bournemouth relegated after a few seasons in, in the Premier League. Um, the commentator said something interesting. He said, these sides kind of reach that glass ceiling. So you get the feeling that Burnley, I, I, I'm thinking out loud here, Burnley, Crystal Palace, these are clubs in the Premier League that eventually will hit their glass ceiling and then will just go. You, Burnley just look bereft of ideas. They're not the Burnley we know. They're not tight. They're not defensive. They're not solid. You can cut through them at will. Uh, which is exactly the uh, principles that made them so difficult to beat. And we all heard that Sean Dyche is the next England manager because he can organise defences. The second goal, where the throw-in from Carl Walker down into Mares onto the byline from a throw-in, if that's my team at my level in Sunday League, I give my centre-back and my defenders such a rocket. And this is happening under Sean Dyche's Burnley. They Mm. haven't reached their level because they never tried to do anything other than defend. And then when they stop defending, they get absolutely humiliated. Got a feel for poor old uh, Bailey Peacock Peacock Farrell in what I think. (laughs) That might have been his his debut. It was his debut. Within five minutes, he's exposed by his left back being too far up the pitch. And Mar is allowed a simple one-on-one on him. Then he's a, 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 his, his, his much wanted central defenders allow a throw-in to go to the byline. And then he's beaten for number two. Uh, number six, the Wood. And again, in, in this uh, age for Jesus, should have been allowed. Would have been a Peacock foul own goal. Would have gone down and was one of the great goalkeeping clangers. But um, Burnley are just dreadful. Hey, yeah. I've been saying this for three years. You, listen, you should listen to me occasionally. <laughs> they are dreadful. They haven't earned the money and they're getting everything they deserve at the moment. Seven defeats in ten suggests that Des Corkill is right, Craig Wilkie. <laughs> it, it does, rather. And just, just as you were mentioning, 
actually. All those things that made Burnley a, a difficult side to play against in the last couple of seasons seem to vanish. I mean, what? They're, why they're... is it because Daesh is past his sell-by date? Is it because no new players were brought in? Combination of everything, probably. It's very hard to say. There probably is a combination of everything, but you also have to ask questions of individual players as well. I mean, at, at players who've been around in the Premier League for a few seasons now, you know, they're not making their debuts. They've they've got some experience at that level. Yeah. And to go away to City and within, as Des said, within ten minutes, you've already just given away chances in the way. That, when I mean, you know City you've been five nil constantly before. <laughs> exactly. City didn't have to earn those. I mean, for all the magnificence of De Bruyne and Mares and and some of the talent that they have, it was just so easy. And that's if you're Sean Dyche, that's what's got to be a worry is how easy it was for City to do that. And, and also for other other sides who don't have City's quality, are still finding it easy against Burnley. So they look in big big trouble right now. All right. That's where we leave it for now. Uh, stick with us right after the break. More of the weekend's football. Immediate thrust, recognisable certainty, and a nasty dig in the ribs. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Five yards out, unchallenged, unmarked, makes absolutely no mistake. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Des Corkill, Craig Wilkie and Arvin Sidhu joining me on this Monday evening to look back on the weekend's EPL action. Follow us on social media. It's uh, BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel up. It is TFIF on video. Do check us out. Do give us a subscribe. All right, um, Southampton 2, Man United 3. For me, the most exciting game of the weekend. I am a little biased. But it was good fun. It was good fun. Uh, <laughs> United typically, they, they went 2-0 down. They, they're recorded away. I think it's eight consecutive away wins now this season, which is in itself quite extraordinary. Um, it was an attacking starting 11 of Insidu, first of all, that Ole put out, which pleased a lot of United fans. And although it didn't look that way after 45 minutes, I didn't look that way because mainly down to the quality that James Ward-Prowse provides. I mean, that, that, that corner uh, and also the, 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 the free kick. Um, but yeah, United, this would have been a comeback that Sir Alex Ferguson would have been proud of. Because when you go away to a place like Southampton, which has not been easy. Hang on, just let me jump in there. He, he would have been proud of that, but he would have changed the kit at halftime. He probably, yeah, like how he did back in the day, he would have changed the kit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, th- when you have the quality like Edison Cavani to bring off the bench, this is what you pay the big bucks for because the guy clearly knows how to exploit space. He clearly knows how to finish. Bruno Fernandes again was great. And Donny van der Beek started. When you start someone like Donny van der Beek, this, you see what happens. So uh, Ole would have, been, would have been happy with that. The away record is good. Uh, I found it quite interesting that Rafa Sanhutl came out and said that, oh, I've heard them chanting and cheering um, in the dressing room after the game. It's like they won the Premier League. So, so it's, been, it's a good achievement, no doubt about it, but it's just something that they need to keep in mind as they go on because we, we are at the step now, two steps ahead. Ole United, make sure you don't go back. Just continue moving where you need to go. So let's see how that, how that folds well for them. But great comeback. This was a massive potential banana skin and it looked like the skin was massive, there's at halftime. But... I mean, the worrying thing for me is, okay, he started with a diamond formation. He had Rashford and Mason Greenwood, two bright, young, English, hopeful strikers. They made no impact. When you saw Cavani come in in the second 45 minutes, what an actual number nine does, 
He harried back. He then rushed back to his central striking position. He did everything. And number, what, what Greenwood and Rashford did not do in the first 45. Yeah, he was outstanding as, as well as, you're quite right to say, he got the two goals and the assist. But his all-round work, he terrified Southampton because Southampton's press have been so impressive for the first half. They really stopped uh, United's playing. But this is what Man United should be doing. You look at that front five. Okay, Matic and Fred may be whole, but Fred was released a bit more. Van der Beek gets his chance. Fernandez is allowed to play up front. Uh, whoever's up top, but Cavani made a, a huge difference. If you've got that front five, my word, you should be uh, in with a chance. They, they scored three. It could have been more. It could have been five or six. Alex McCarthy made a, a couple yeah. of very, very good saves. This is what Man United should be doing. And coincidence. Paul Pogba's nowhere near the squad. I was going to come to that. In fact, you can take the whole French connection and, and throw Anthony Marshall in, in there as well. They were absent from the actual traveling squad. Didn't miss them at all. Craig, will you think, will, will Ole continue in, in, in this form? Uh, will there be, is there another setback on the horizon? You get the feeling it is like that. It is that, that fragile, isn't it? Well, that's been the pattern for a very long time. Uh, Pogba, my, my stance has, has been for a very long time as well, that he's not bringing much to that squad. And in fact, a lot of the time, it seems as though the players play better without him. I don't know why that is in terms of maybe his personality or what, how they feel about when he's playing or what the system has to be accommodated for him. But definitely the other players look more free when, when he's not, not on the pitch. And I think since Fernandez has come in, he's given so much of that drive and leadership that historically you might have expected from Pogba that, He's, he's not as necessary as he, as he once, once was, perhaps. But you go back and look at Southampton and what a phenomenal first half they had. But this has become a bit of a pattern for them as well. You know, trying to play a full 90 minutes. We've seen so many games of two halves involving them where on one half, they've been absolutely sublime. And Arvin mentioned, you know, Ward-Prowse. It was interesting hearing Letizia talk about him on the TV. And Letizia said, you know, I've been in an England training camp with yeah. David Beckham. Yeah. And I've also been on the training pitch with Ward-Prowse. And Ward-Prowse is the only other one that I've been in so much of in terms of his ability with a dead ball. And, I mean, comparing him to Beckham is one thing. Even Letizia himself. I mean, what a wonderful striker of a football. He surpassed he Letizia so with the free kicks and, and all that. Exactly. So that, that's the compliment. So you're always going to have a chance when you've got a player giving deliveries like that. But then I look at Southampton and there's so much to be positive about in terms of the way they play, the attacking style. There's a lot of credit to be given to Hassan-Huddle. But individual mistakes. I mean, the Cavani first goal, right? What is Vestergaard doing? Yeah. Everybody else, everybody yeah. else has pushed out to play him offside, and he absolutely would have been. And Vestergaard is five yards behind the rest of his defence, when he's in a position where he can clearly see where everybody else is. Not only that, he's standing directly in front of his goalkeeper, giving him no chance to see what's going. I mean, I don't know what he's hoping to achieve by being in that position. So that that must be so frustrating for a manager when you get individual mistakes like that 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 cost you at a, a really crucial moment of the game, but. Yeah, like, like you said before, Cavani. I mean, people said, you know, Cavani, well, is he a bit past it now? The time to sign him would have been two or three seasons ago. Yes, it would have been better then, but he's still a player, isn't he? I mean, the, the space that he creates in the box, you, you can't coach that. It's just an instinct, and he's, yeah. he's there, and he's going to score a lot of goals, I think, for United this season. Unless his social media postings get him in trouble. Uh, but, but we'll leave that, we'll leave that for, for another day. Uh, we'll move on to the late game. I'll be honest with you, I kind of fell asleep with this one. Arsenal 1, Wolves 2. Uh, shocking, because that's five defeats now for, for Arsenal in, in the 10. 
10 games that they've played. Um, I mean, we say this, but Arteta, I mean, Arteta's rightly come out and said, I, I don't fear for my job. And you get the feeling that it is a project. He's still more sound. Although Des going to go, it's not better than when Wenger was there, right? Des? <laughs> yeah. There's been real progress since Arsene Wenger left at uh, Arsenal, hasn't there? That was a great decision. <laughs> uh, they, were, they, they weren't good. I tell you what, he's tried to make them more solid. And, uh, they're yes, not there. kind of. They're, con- they're conceding corners, uh, goals from corners, direct from corners. Um, there you go. Uh, I, I just need to change track. So, if Robertson's was a penalty, why wasn't the challenge on Jimenez not a penalty? The one where he got carried off. Yeah. There is contact. Yeah. And the ball is touched. That's a penalty. Why wasn't Edison's challenge in the Man City game uh, where he's caught the, 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 uh, the forward coming in with his elbow as he's made a clearance? Why is that not a penalty? If we're going down that route of where we're going, and no, I'm not going to let it go, chaps, then any <laughs> contact in the penalty area in these crap new rules is a penalty. Um, but going back to, to Arsenal, listen, if they're going to be solid, you can't concede goals from corners. You can't. Uh, let a ball come in, header goes in, nobody on the line. That's just unforgivable. Cheap goals when you're, when you're not scoring goals. No, it's, yeah. it's not, that's not a recipe for success. Worryingly, Obama Young is, is on a goal drought at the moment. I think it's like eight games, Craig, Craig, that he hasn't scored. So it's dried up up front. Now you're starting to leak goals as well. So he should be worried, Arteta. Yeah, it's not a great combination, that, is it? No. I, mean, I remember that, that it was such a such a positive end that Arsenal had the last season. Then, of course, there was the all the, the hype and the excitement around the fact that Aubameyang stayed and he signed a new contract. And everybody was, I think, looking forward to this season. They made an OK start. But as Dez mentioned, what Arteta's done is, by and large, take the, the weekend game out of the, the picture. He's made He has made them more solid. He has made them a bit more compact defensively. And people have definitely looked at it over recent times and said Arsenal need a bit of that. They need a bit of strength, a bit of grit in midfield as well. But if you're going to do it at the expense of creating anything, I mean, really, you look at, I mean, how many chances did Aubameyang have? And a player of his quality, it must be such a frustrating, lonely kind of life that he's got up, up front for himself now at Arsenal. And they still have enough attacking players, but then you have to look at the system. You do have to look at Arteta and say, well, Where's that creativity coming from? Mm. Do you want it from a playmaker in midfield? Do you want it coming from the wide areas from the likes of Tierney getting forward? And it's just not happening in any sense right now for Arsenal. And like you say, when you, when you add on to that, the fact that you're conceding goals at the same time, let's give Wolves a bit of credit, by the way, because I thought Traore was, was fantastic. The first time we've really you know, seen him come alive this season and doing, doing what he does best, you know, just putting his head down, using his pace, going by players, but actually delivering an end product as well. It was a great little clip ball into the box for the first goal. Um, but Arsenal, yeah, they're not defending those situations well. They're not creating much up front. And if you do that, then you're, you're going to have to just try and eke out results here and there. And so far, they've not done a great job of that this season. No, they, they haven't. Uh, cause to worry there, Arsenal fans. But yeah, Wolves were good. Pedro Neto, Daniel Podence, uh, they, they showed that Wolves maybe don't need to rely on just the goals of Raul Jimenez, who I understand he was rushed to the hospital. He had a scan. I think he's all right. But uh, scary stuff, horrible when head oh, clashing. Horrible, yeah. yeah, head clashing. But Wolves are, are, are the, the, a good team. They look a top six side, Arvin. 
I do. Uh, but uh, back to the that Jimenez and, and Lewis uh, clash of heads. I mean, if you if you really listen to it, it almost sounded like a WWE chair shot. It, it really sounded very sickening. So it's good to hear that both of them are okay. Uh, but yeah, Wolves have scored the first time in the first half of all the Premier League season. You expect Arsenal to always be on the receiving end whenever a team breaks such records up to six. The good thing about them right now is we talked about how um, their attack wasn't as fluid early parts of the season, but now it is. Uh, I, I thought that not just uh, Adama Traore, but Pedro Neto completely, completely ran the other yeah. side of it. They were yeah. giving nightmares to Tierney and, and Bellerin. Um, so in that sense, Conor Cody again was outstanding defensively. And then when you have someone like Boli next to him, which is such a presence as well. So Wolves have got good things going for them. But just a quick one on Arsenal. Um, I know we don't advocate sackings of managers, but last year, this time, Emery got sacked. He was eighth. Arsenal are 14th. He's got lesser points than Unai Emery. There was no fight, no flair, nothing. The players just seemed totally disinterested. And I know he has outcast someone like Mesut Ozil from the squad. And I get it why he's done it, because it doesn't fit into how he feels the squad works or how he wants to play. But really, is Joe Willock an upgrade from Mesut Ozil when you play him in that position? Awesome, Wenger's free. Awesome, Wenger hasn't got a job. <laughs> I, hear exactly, quite, but... I hear he quite likes North London as well. <laughs> okay, fair questions there, Arvin's put out. Um, and you're going to think about that for a while because we're off on our final break. And we'll be back right after this. No happy return, but a reality check bordering on a rude awakening. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. For their season off and running with a goal inside eight minutes. Off the ball on BFM 89.9. And thanks for sticking with us, Des Craig and Arvin here. Just to, to wrap up the weekend's football, a couple of games. Uh, we didn't talk about the Friday night game, was Crystal Palace nil, Newcastle United 2, uh, coinciding with the return of Callum Wilson, a goal and assist there. Um, Palace, glass ceiling refer to earlier chat. Uh, West Brom won. Sheffield United nil. Uh, the baggies, yeah. Take, uh, get out of the bottom three. Wow, massive game there. Two more games in the Premier League tonight. Um, we should give them a quick mention. Leicester against Fulham. It's the 1.30 a.m. kickoff. Uh, Leicester, well, a win can push them back right up there into the reckoning again. You'd expect them to win at home against Fulham because Fulham have got this Mitrovic problem. No goal in eight now for their supposed talisman. They, they, they are very goal shy as well, Des. Yeah, goal shy, only nine goals in nine, but conceding too many as well. They're a little bit porous. They play nice football, um, but sometimes you, you need to combine, as Craig often says, quite rightly, you can defend as well as try and play progressive football going front. No outstanding. I don't see a team leader at Fulham, whereas with the better teams, you do see team leaders. Uh, for Fulham, collection of individuals who can do well individually one game, um, but not in any consistency. And therein lies a problem. It could be a long, 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 hard season. But with four such dreadful teams in terms of um, uh, accumulating points down at the bottom, one of them will escape. And that, I think, is Fulham's only chance. So it could well be. Hey, here you go. Here's a call for you. I reckon we're going to have four teams with less than 25 points this season. Mm. 
Fulham with the added pressure that uh, West Brom won as well this weekend. All right, that's 1.30. West Ham against Aston Villa is 4 a.m. David Moyes apparently has a selection headache. Does he stick with two goals in a row? Sebastian Haller, who costs £45 million. Um, or does he bring back the fit again, but maybe not match fit, Mikel Antonio? A uh, nice selection headache for David Moyes to have. But West Ham versus Aston Villa is all about who wins the midfield, isn't it, Craig Wilkie? Yeah, quite looking forward to this game, actually. Yeah. Um, I think West, West Ham have bounced back from a slightly tricky start to the season. As you mentioned, the fact that Moyes has got that sort of selection headache is, is a pretty good thing for him and something he's maybe not had very much over the, the course of the time that he's been there at West Ham. And Villa, as we know, made such a flying start. It's kind of, they've come down a little bit from, from those highs. But when you've got the likes of Grealish and you've got the likes of Barkley, there's always going to be something happening in that midfield. So I think the quality that they have in there give them the edge for me. But with this game at West Ham and some of the confidence that they've built up over the last few weeks, I think we'll get quite a competitive fixture here. It's a tough one to call. I think there'll be goals as well. Is Barkley I, I... fit? No, well, this this is the thing. Bark, Barkley is not fit. On on Friday, we 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 kind of previewed this game, and, and we said with Barkley being out, it's going to mean that Grealish is going to get kicked a heck of a lot more, Arvin. Yeah, it is. Barkley has been so important to them because when when they bought him, it allows uh, it allows it opened up Grealish. Yeah. Exactly, but Douglas Lewis as well has done really well for Villa in that in that centre midfield role. So. Yeah, it's for me. It's 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 a game where you can summarize one team where there's a stability there. Once Moyes went into a back three, that team is there's there's some sense of stability with West Ham, and we don't often say that. And then you've got another team who can be so superb on their day, but at the same time be completely poor. There's no middle ground for Villa. For <laughs> Either they're extremely good or they're extremely poor. So yeah, it's gonna. I think this is probably gonna be the better of the two games to check out for later tonight. Brilliant stuff. 4 a.m. kickoff, that one. A quick word about the midweek Champions League and Europa League. Man City are in Group C and they are away in Portugal against Porto City. Of course, already qualified with two games to spare. Uh, probably, what, a draw out of this one will ensure top spot. Des, how good are this City side and do they need to buy in January to be considered serious Champions League contenders? Because that glaring striker role, I mean, if Aguero's not there, that there you go. That's something majorly missing with City, isn't it? Again, we, we say this on the weekend that City have scored five. Uh, they I are know. Such a, they're such a terrific side. Uh, where are they? They're mid-table at the moment. Uh, got a game in hand. If they win that game in hand, they go three points off the top of the table. It's not a crisis at Manchester City, not at the moment. They're not firing on all cylinders as they have for much of the last three or four years, but they are growing into this year. Uh, yes, they possibly need some support, but Aguero, I think, will come back fit as soon as they hit the second part of the season. Um, so long as you're still in contention in January, February, then your season can still be a stellar season. Wouldn't count City off here. Uh, Messi's not going to come either, is he? He's not coming in January. I, who knows? Who Nothing knows? Like it now. Did you, did you see, I tell you what, his performance for Barcelona, it smacked to me of a, hey, this is me at my best, and I'm saying goodbye soon, so enjoy me while you can. Doesn't it? Doesn't it just? Uh, yes, mm, I agree. The I first agree. time I thought that. No, Arvin, no? No, no, he will stay. It, it all depends on the presidential elections that will happen on 24 January. What will happen is someone like Victor Font will come in or Emilia Rosad 
and they will cater to what the man needs. I honestly would be very surprised if you see Messi out of Barcelona. I, I don't know. There's a reason why Pep extended for two years. Yeah. Watch this space. Um, okay, brilliant stuff. Liverpool are two points clear at the top of Group D. Uh, not not ideal because Ajax and Atalanta are both just on seven points. It is Liverpool versus Ajax. They had a shock 2-0 home loss against Atalanta last time out. It is a depleted Liverpool side. You expect it's going to be sprinkled, Craig Wilkie, with, with a few of the youngsters, uh, this one. But should still overcome Ajax, right? Should, but quite a tough fixture, this one. In, in what is quite a tough group, as you mentioned, I, Atalanta are a great side. They proved that last week at Anfield. We, we remember from the first game of this, in this group that away in Amsterdam, it was not an easy game for Liverpool at all. They, they won that game 1-0. I think Manny scored, but it was a very, very tight game and could have gone either way, really, on the, the balance of chances. And the, the bigger concern for Liverpool fans like myself, as you say, is the fact that it's such a depleted squad. So we don't know exactly what that starting lineup is going to look like. Now, now it's um, one James Milner shot as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and of course, that's a huge loss because Milner is yeah. one of those fantastically versatile players who can go and fill in in all sorts of roles. So a little bit of pressure on this game for Liverpool. I think they'll still do enough to come through, hopefully on the night, but certainly in, in the group overall. But they can't afford to take this game lightly by any means. Amazing. The games are coming thick and fast. And remember, none of these teams had a preseason, <laughs> which is crazy stuff. Uh, in Group E, Chelsea and Sevilla are both through. They're both on 10 points. The other two teams are on one point. So it's a case of who comes top. It is Sevilla against Chelsea. Now, Frank Lampard, to me, has a squad of players, Arvin, that if you talk about, you know, you know possibility of winning, he's got a squad there that has all the right elements. You think he's got proper strikers, he's got proper wingers, great midfield. Now the defence is sorted. You know, they could be in with a shout here. They can be. And when you think about the fact that you're right, both of them are, have got identical records in their group. If you think that someone like, like someone like Lampard could bring in Pulisic, Havertz, Giorgino, if you could bring that kind of talent off the bench who didn't feature over the weekend, that's just scary depth, really, really scary depth. Uh, but I, I, I found it really interesting that Sevilla fans are really upset that they've made it to the next round of the Champions League because <laughs> they, they're they not guaranteed the UEFA Cup now. <laughs> they're not guaranteed the UEFA League, which is what they win every year. So Sevilla fans are really upset that they've made it to the next round of the Champions League. But yeah, uh, but, but this has got draws written all over them. They, they played out a 0-0, I believe, previously at Stamford Bridge. Sevilla are doing, uh, are doing well. Julian Lopetegui has got a is renaissance right there over there in La Liga. So they're doing well. So I... It'll be a, a draw would do well and a nice run out for those Chelsea players that we spoke about. All right. Well, Man United um, are three points clear of Paris Saint-Germain in Group H. They do host PSG on Thursday morning, our time, 4 a.m. Um, you know, as a United fan, I'm, I'm so much less worried when we play teams like PSG and, and all this because I kind of think Ole more or less gets the tactics right for that. It's when we, it's when the West Broms and the Southamptons come knocking that I start to worry. But Des, I mean, how much, will United carry on the run for you in this one? Uh, will it go, uh, revert you know, to type? This match is one that should be having us on the edge of our seats. This is massive Man United, money PSG, PSG, so close. They've got this holy grail of winning the Champions League, United with all their rich tradition. 
And yet what UEFA have managed to do with the Champions League and the group stages is make this a, a normal run-of-the-mill match where avoiding defeat is possibly what's, what's more important. I, I, I cannot comprehend how such a marvellous opportunity can become such a run-of-the-mill situation. Uh, to answer your question, United are very good in Europe. United are very good in the league. I've been telling you this for a, a long time. One win, uh, if they win their game in hand, they're two points off the top of the uh, English Premiership. Uh, PSG are running away with it even now in France. Yeah, so um, yeah. this, this, this should be a gargantuan, marvellous sporting occasion. And it's just going to be another uh, Thursday morning headline. They do have Neymar and Mbappe fit for this one. So it might be worth checking out. Uh, 4 a.m. Thursday, Man United against PSG. Very quickly on the Europa League, we didn't talk much about Leicester, but they are going great in the Europa this year. Top of the group, three points clear. They play bottom side Zoria. Uh, Rogers might quietly think, hang on, that's a trophy chance here, and then have another portrait commissioned. Right. <laughs> he does he does love a portrait doesn't he he I does he love a portrait i tell you he got out of celtic at the right time as well didn't he and uh having having done so um he's he's really got to be credited with a very good job at leicester he's he's gone into that football club and he's changed everything about it the way that they play we remember the days under club well was not the most inspiring football we know how rogers likes to play he likes his players to get the ball down be confident be brave on the ball keep possession and they've done that and they've started getting some results. And you, you, you spoke about the fact that they've had a great Europa League campaign. They've had a great Premier League campaign so far as well. If they win their game t- tonight in their early hours, then they'll go back up to, I don't know, second or third in the top. league, something like that top. as well. They'll yeah. go top. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, again, if you, were, if you were speaking to a Leicester fan at the start of the season, 10 games in and to be in this position in both the domestic league and in Europe as well, what a fantastic achievement that is. And as we've spoken about before, it's such a unique season with the, the pressures that all these sides are facing. So many games coming so thick and fast. The pressures on those squads. And the, the league is very, very open. I think we, we talk about how many horses or ponies are in the, in the title race. There's at <laughs> least four. There's at least four big ones. I don't, I don't know what Leicester qualify on the horse-pony scenario, but they, they might not be too far away if they can get through the, the sort of Christmas period into the new year, like Des was saying earlier about the, the, you know, the difficulties over that time. And if they're still there in January, February, then... Who's to say that they can't stick with it all the way to the end and make it a really, really exciting season? Yeah, brilliant stuff. Right, hopefully we've set you up nicely for the week. Uh, Tottenham are away in uh, Group J. They play Linz uh, of Austria. Arsenal are through already in Group B. Uh, that's it. We'll talk about those, those games on Friday. For now, I say thank you to Des Corkill. Scrap VAR. Scrap VAR. Scrap VAR. Scrap VAR. Scrap VAR. <laughs> Petition started already. Uh, thank you, Craig Wilkie. Thank you very much. And let's just look forward to the fact that next weekend we'll have some fans back in the stadium. Which will yeah, be, yeah. In be fact, it'll be a they, great, they re- great thing. Yeah, they return with the Arsenal game in the Europa League this week. So let's just hope. Uh, thanks as well, Arvin Sidhu. Thank you, everyone. Some games might be boring, but Leeds games never are. So check out any Leeds game you want. Entertainment guaranteed. Have a great week, everybody. Spot your Friday. Bye bye. <laughs> Off the ball every Monday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.